Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. I've heard many people talk about the autistic experience as a cultural difference from non-autistic or holistic culture. And on this episode, I talked to Dawn Prince-Hughes about an ethnography project that she's working on with Yale University exploring autistic culture. We also talk about the children's book Dawn recently wrote and the decades of work that Dawn has done with animals. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. All right, sounds good. Recording in progress. Dawn, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me here on Autism Stories. Great to be here. Good to see you again. Always a great conversation. And starting with uh, this conversation, I wanted to kind of learn, where does your story in the autistic community begin? Right. Well, I was one of those people that got kind of a late identification. Um, As with other people, you know, I struggled my whole life and could never figure out what was going on. Uh, I had a lot of spiritual influence in my life. Um, First Nations friends and and so forth and that really actually helped me because I was able to sort of look at at the whole gestalt of my way of being in the world in a more spiritual way instead of it being pathologized which is the case in so many of our lives but uh, I had a son with my ex-partner and uh, around that time I was also Moving on from the gorillas, I wasn't able to spend time with them at the zoo. And I was just, I was under a a tremendous amount of strain. And uh, without the gorillas, it became really clear that, you know, I I could easily go off the rails. So, you know, the people around me, my loved ones said, you really need to figure out what's going on here. And I started doing some internet research and, um, and the rest is really history. Now, I've realized as I've gotten older and understood myself a lot better that the words we use are really important to me. Now, now you just finished writing a neuroexpansive children's book. So thinking about words and language, why do you use the term neuroexpansive in describing the book instead of neurodivergent? Right. Well, of course, I support anybody's way of self-identifying, you know. I don't think that it's a one-size-fits-all sort of situation anymore. But again, for me, it comes back around to this, um, for lack of a better word, I don't mean to to, uh, take anyone's culture, but the shamanic elements of being a very, very sensitive person on many levels. To me, that, that is a way of being expansive in the world. 
not just neuroexpansive, but uh, expansive on every level. Um, the decades of work I've done with animals suggests to me that we are not actually divergent. Um, the, the rainbow of different ways of showing up neurologically uh, is actually the rule and not the exception. Um, on the other hand, when you look at holistic behavior, that that is indeed divergent where the natural world is concerned. And um, I certainly know about your work with animals, but um, I, did, I, I didn't know you were interested in writing a children's book. So what made you want to decide to do that? Right. Well, people had kind of been pestering me about it for a long time. And, um, and I, I wasn't really sure what was making me uh, averse to launching into something like that. And then I realized that I knew I was going to get really emotional because as a writer and as a reader, the things that really strike me the most deeply are very simple. Like, I think the only times I've cried about, you know, when I was reading someone's writing have been children's books. And so I launched into it sort of having an inkling, but not really realizing how deeply I would be affected by the process. And it was, it was really like therapy. Um, and then I kind of floated it out to some beta readers and, uh, and they said, you know, God, we wish we had had this book when we were younger. And they had the same emotional, visceral response to it, which was great. Because when people, a lot of times when people reflect on the books that they've read, they go back to their childhood, right? And and kind yes. of like go back, you know, those are the ones that really stick with people. Yes. I mean, even still, I remember books I read as a child being important to me today. I, When I had my son, those were the first things I bought because they were so moving, instructive, uh, you know, expansive to use that word again. Yeah. Now, you are also currently working on something that I'm really excited about, and it's in partnership with Yale University, and you're working on an ethnography project that focuses on autistic culture and the way that we as autistics share that culture. Um, how do you plan to use um, ethnography as a way to uplift autistic voices? Well, I knew it was sort of it would be sort of an organic process because really it's tough to define autistic culture. And what I've been finding through this process is that even more than holistic culture, it's it's ragged at the edges, which is so beautiful. It's very very inclusive. Um, and sort of the the common underthreads that I see are this basic acceptance. Um, an ability to work out work out problems in a different way that's that seems less attacking and, and more uh, cooperative. Uh, and people have really felt validated and supported through this process. And that is the most important thing to me. We may not always agree on what autistic culture is, what it should do, how it functions. But I wanted it to be sort of a, 
I, I don't like the medical term petri dish, but but if if there's you know an organic sort of parallel to that idea, I wanted to to stir up all of the basic building blocks of culture, and um, and make a soft place to land, so that people could say whatever they needed to say, that they could really look at their lives as heroic and tragic, um, but always contextualized by the idea that we share something. It may be indefinable at this point, but we share something. And I want to give people that context and that safe place to land. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk about autistic culture and problem solving, being cooperative, because for me, one of the one of the ways that I feel like my autism presents itself is that I'm always looking to collaborate. I guess maybe why one of the reasons why podcasting is uh, and hearing other stories is really important to me. What have you kind of like learned at this point about that cooperative um, approach to problem solving? Right, I guess. Um... I guess I'm not surprised by it, how all of these really unique thinkers are coming together and making something bigger than the sum of the parts. But I know that it surprises holistic people, you know, because because the, the negative stereotypes really persist, right? That we mm. are insular and that we have to go our own way and, you know, we don't work well with others. <laughs> like, I remember that standing out in red on my report cards as a kid, right? But really, in fact, um, again, I'm not surprised that people come to it, yes, with that tight grip on um, their way of viewing things. But there are so many little edges to the puzzle where they can come together and and work cooperatively. And they're and they're better. I you know, I would say from where I sit, they're better at it. And God knows the culture at large needs that right now. And it's exemplary in the real in the real sense of the word. Now, um, you know, in thinking about your ethnography project, are there ways that our autistic listeners um, can get involved in this project? Yes, the easiest way is to go on Facebook, and it's. Um, you have to, you actually have to look it up, do a search because we, we didn't want broadcast everywhere yet. Um, but you look under C A S Y that's all capitalized, which are the, um, autism, the, the social autism programs at Yale. So C A S Y cultural autism studies, and that will bring up, uh, the ethnography page. And then you just ask to join. Um, and then once you're on the list, you get the link for our weekly meetings. Um, there are also ways to participate if you are not not a speaking person, um, or if you want to just do the ethnography on your own. There's a whole uh, document uh, that outlines the first module of the ethnography to make it accessible to as many people as possible. And I think it's really important to be able to build bridges between us as autistics and, and allistics. So I'm wondering if there are ways for non-autistic people to participate in the project as well. Yes, that's very important. And I agree with you that, you know, we can 
we can do all this great work among ourselves, but until we actually build those bridges, it's, it's all for naught, right? So currently, um, the, the person that runs Casey, the Casey arm, um, Roger Joe, uh, he, he is an holistic person who always comes to our meetings and you know, has learned a lot and he's been, he's been a great voice. Um, I really welcome anyone who is a student uh, of autism to come and, and listen. If you are not spectrum or expansive or however you identify, I ask people to sort of just blend into the background, like let, let the people have a voice that need to be there. Um, and as far as the, um, the document, the, the written outline of the ethnography, I'm encouraging people, uh, holistic or expansive, to start satellite um, groups in their own institutions, their own social clubs, whatever. Um, and if holistic people do that, I'm encouraging them to, again, just make sure that, that the um, autistic voices are center stage. Now, something that I think is important to many autistic people is communicating in a way that uh, best works for, for them. So instead of just talking about things, there um, are so many other ways, creative ways that we could express how we think or, or feel. And that's one of the really cool things about this project. Can you talk about other ways that people can contribute to this project other than using mouth or spoken words? Right. And that's what makes this so unique. And it's so exciting to me. Because, I mean, all of us can say if we had a nickel for every form we had to fill out, right? <laughs> and that's, I mean, it just gives a completely skewed view of, of the expensive, expansive autistic experience. Uh, so many people are, are not using human language to communicate. Uh, other people are too, um, are too shy or too, I don't want to use that word, but don't choose to jump in in a verbal conversation. And so I really wanted to expand it so that people could express themselves in any possible way, whether that's an, uh, a mathematical formula about how it feels to be engaged with an animal or a sculpture about being bullied and rejected or a painting about the great gifts of sensory expansiveness that we enjoy. And, and that's been really neat to watch, um, watch that process unfold for people. Uh, people have offered pieces of music. Um, yeah, and there's just really, again, no limit to the ways that, that folks can communicate, and I love that. And you were just talking about human language, and you know, one of the things here on this podcast over the last year plus is I've spoken with a lot of non-speakers on here. Um, and I'm just wondering, from your wonderful background of working with gorillas, how you look at this concept of human language as the supposed superior way for us to communicate with one another. Right, right. And I think language is, is sort of the foundation for this 
strange divergence I was talking about with holistic people that it, that it um, is so relied on, uh, and yet it is so inefficient and so, so ripe for misinterpretation. Um, working with the gorillas, that just wasn't the case. And of course, you know, I, I don't feel like it's an insult to compare anyone to animals because they're beautiful and they, I, I feel in some ways they are superior communicators. Um, and so I really enjoy uh, the opportunity to get to interact with people that aren't, you know, making noises with the hole in their face. I don't get it. Like I have a sensor, um, an auditory processing difficulty and, you know, I usually have the energy to keep up with it and have a good conversation, but silence and movement is my first language. And I think that's true, obviously, of a lot of people, including my gorilla family. And I think if we can make our way back there, it lends itself to a deeper, more primal mode of understanding, deeper connections, uh, better humility. Uh, because, for example, you have to try different things rather than the just, you know, making noises with your mouth. You have to try a variety of modalities to connect with someone, and that's a humbling experience. Um, you have to be able to look like a fool, you know, for it to work. Yeah. And that's good, that's good for us. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember doing lectures where, where people would ask me, you know, where do we draw the line between animals and humans? And what makes us, what's the one thing that makes us different? And they were looking for something positive. And I would always say the degree to which we can make things up and believe them is the only thing <laughs> that separates us from our animal brethren and sisters. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to just sort of get, get out of that, uh, that rubric. It's, it's not serving us. And the world that we live in can oftentimes be a really overwhelming experience. Uh, However, one of the focuses of the this ethnography project is the natural environment and the living things in it and how much as artistics we enjoy these things. From your experience, why do you think the natural environment and the living things in it are so beneficial to those of us that are autistic? Right. It goes back to all of those great levels that we are extra sensitive in or naturally sensitive in. Um, I think that's really, really important to remember that that shamanic or spiritual piece and the way that it locks in with our sensory sensitivities, and it just makes us natural ambassadors in that world. And again, we need that now more than ever. I was just talking to my group earlier about the importance of aligning ourselves with animals in our struggle because that movement more than any other, I think, intersects our own in that we have um, a neuroexpansive or a different kind of neurology or way of being in the world. And that that's ignored because people want to commodify us, 
commodify our bodies or commodify uh, what we can add to their careers or whatever. And so I think that intersectionality of, of environments and animals and neuroexpansive people, it's, it's just, it's a natural alliance. I know whenever I am out in nature and by waterfalls, it's just, it's such, there's just such a change just in my body and my energy, um, you know, as a result of those things. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think many of us need that to be healthy. Um, I think culturally, on a grander scale, we all need that to be healthy, um, for sure. But, but us, uh, in particular, we in particular need, need that kind of uh, locking in of energy because we get so depleted as well. Like, it balances us, it fills us up. Yeah, and I think we need to lead the way for a greater, greater movement in that direction. Now, I know you mentioned it earlier, but um, just maybe one more time for our listeners, how they can um, learn more about the ethnography project beyond this interview. Sure. Just go to Facebook and you'll have to look it up. Um, it's capital C-A-S-Y. Cultural Autism Studies will come up. The KC Cultural Autism Studies Ethnography Project page will come up. So just send a request to join and the uh, outline of the ethnography, as well as the link for the weekly meetings, which are free to anyone who wants to go, is all on the page. Uh, we meet at this point Mondays at uh, one o'clock Eastern time we just have like two or three weeks left to go with this with this um, run of the module. Uh, but in a month or two, I'm starting a second module, which will be specifically focused on autistic spirituality or neuroexpansive spirituality. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm very interested in that. So I'm going to try to make, uh, I'm going to have to clear my calendar a little bit to make sure I, I make one of these meetings done. Uh, that would be great. You are very welcome and I'll make announcements on the page. And again, if you're interested in doing the original uh, first module, which covers a lot of different areas of life, that um, that outline is there and you can write or paint or math your way uh, through it and send it to me and I'll make sure that it becomes part of the greater body. Mm -hmm. Well, it's always an honor talking with you, Dawn. Thanks so much for making time for this conversation today. You bet. Love your questions and always love to talk. Recording stopped. Thanks so much to Dawn for the conversation. To learn more about Dawn and her ethnography project, please check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. At Autism Personal Coach, we provide customized coaching for autistics. All of our coaches are either autistic or autistic selected for their commitment to trauma-informed and neurodiversity-affirming strategies. They deeply understand burnout, sensory needs, executive functioning, and the importance of special interests. If you're interested in learning more about our coaching, please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.